a good process will work through all the masses of people that exist out there and who are trying to apply for your job. That's essentially how you do it. You, you have to cast a wide net. You've got to have a process that keeps it from taking up all your time. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and today we're going to be featuring three clips that focus on how to build your commercial real estate team. The first clip comes from episode 1688 with Danny Coleman, and he makes it a full-time job to help small businesses grow and develop their teams. Here's what he had to say. Where do you find the quality people? You can get them. You can certainly find quality virtual assistants. Upwork is, is a huge place to go. It used to be Odesk. And you can find them on Craigslist. I got into the position I'm talking about, the COO position, via a Craigslist ad. So it really comes down to your process. So let's just think about this for a second. If you've got 100 people to apply how do you figure out who are the one to three people in that 100 that are good, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not a matter of where do you go to find them. It's just you got to make sure you're casting your net wide enough. But then the problem is, oh, if I'm casting my net so wide, well, then it's a 40-hour-a-week job to screen these people and to hire these people and interview these people. So you got to have a good process. And then that's what comes back to the hiring process that I talking about. A good process will work through all the masses of people that exist out there and who are trying to apply for your job. That's essentially how you do it. You, you have to cast a wide net. But you've got to have a process that keeps it from taking up all your time. And what is that process? Every business that I work with, we kind of tweak it a little bit. So it starts with your job ad. How are you even putting your job ad together? This sounds so basic and technical, but it's really important. When you're writing a job ad, what you're doing is you're asking someone else to come contribute to your vision. You're saying, hey, I want you to come and be a part of this thing that I'm building. So the, the way that I have people write job ads or I, I'll write them for them is you want to tell a story. Why your business? Describe what your business is, the core values of your business. You know, what are the people in your business like? And then you want to lead them on. Okay, does this sound like a place that's interesting to you? Okay, well, keep reading. Here's what we need help with. You get really clear on your position. So I always have people write up a position agreement, right? You're going to help them write up a position agreement. Position agreement is a mutual contract between you and the person who's filling the position. So it starts out, it's more basically, it's a job description. But then once you bring them on board, it's kind of when it becomes more of like this living, breathing document between you and them. But to stay on point with the process, you start out with just your job description, right? So you're super quick. Here is the reason that this position exists. Here's the things that you're going to be responsible for doing on a daily, weekly, monthly, whatever basis. Sound like you? Sound like something that you're interested in? Cool. Keep reading. And then you describe them as a person. And I think this is what's missing from a lot of job descriptions. You kind of just say, hey, here's our company. Here's what we need. If you want to do this apply here. But you want to describe them as a person because the people who get really excited and people who, who are hiring managers will know what I'm talking about or if you've done interviews and stuff. The people who get excited about working for you and who you want on your team, they're reading that description of themselves essentially on your job ad and they're like giddy and they can't wait to apply for it. Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is what I've been looking for. And just to give you a real life example, this is how I got into that position for the real estate business in Nashville. And that three and a half years or so, that changed my life. And it was because of how well written the job ad was. It wasn't perfect, but it got me excited. In fact, one of the things that they had in the job ad was must enjoy organizing chaos. 
which is the name of my podcast. I have a podcast that named Organizing Chaos. So as I read about the, through this job description, described me, and it's like, oh my gosh, like I can't wait to do this. Mm-hmm. So that's really, that's the big part. And I'm kind of going into details on the hiring process, but it really is where it all starts. You do putting that job act together is the first step towards finding the right people. And again, you've got to cast a wide net, but that process needs to sift through all of the people that are going to apply. You're going to have resume shotgunners. You don't want them. You want the people who get excited. And then I have really specific instructions on how to apply got to have your subject line must look like this and you you must include a cover letter and these other things but yeah i mean i can get into as much detail as you'd like on that yeah that would be good and i imagine one of the things you mentioned is have something specific in the subject as well as have a cover letter those are the ways that you filter people out right yeah and started honestly out as something i did for technical reasons because i was casting a wide net but i didn't want to deal with all these emails in my inbox so I set up a filter, and I needed that filter. I needed it to work for that filter. I'm sure you're probably familiar with Podio. I would use Podio to manage the applications, and so emails would come in from Craigslist, Indeed, wherever all the different places where I have the job ad. They would come in, and then they would use that filter to send that email onto Podio, where I would then manage when I batch my time, and then I manage the applications in there. But then I also came a qualifier. Can you follow simple directions such as your name colon position. And a lot of people don't do that. And there's also lots of apps out there that work with Craigslist that help people shop in their resume. And it doesn't take those types of things into consideration. Just like go to reply like with a job title or something. Like that. Mm-hmm. So that's the next part of the process. And then the next thing I do is I shortlist those candidates. So I've already have two pre-screens that essentially we went through a really specific job ad and then a specific way of applying. Mm-hmm. Is a, I do a video recording. So I'll send out a video of myself but I pretty much just say a few things about the position, about what we're looking for. I pretty much just read the job ad, but I obviously give it some flavor and context. And I let them see me. And then I send that video out to everybody who I've shortlisted. And I request a video back from them. We used to have a problem for a while. We would kind of hit and miss on whether or not people would be responding with their video. Because a lot of people don't want to do that. But I found out that it balanced the relationship a little bit by me sending the video first to all those people I shortlisted. And basically, it gets them excited. Again, if they, if they like the position, they're going to be excited to respond. So that's another screen right there because you're going to have maybe a 25% response rate with people doing videos back. And it also tests their ability to even do something simple like upload a video to YouTube, make it unlisted, and send it to you. What do you ask them to do in the video? I have them tell me what about the job ad stuck out to them, what interested them, and then why do they think their natural talent and or their experience would be relevant to this position. And it really just gives me an idea of who they are as people before we have to sit down and schedule interviews. It gives me an idea of what's their character like? How are they coming across? What is it that excited them about the job ad? I want to hear them say it rather than a formulated email response where they can write it and rewrite it a million times. Now, of course, they can upload a video many times too, but they're less likely to do that than they would. You know, mm-hmm. So getting just those two questions answered is really all that I ask for. And again, it just gives me, it helps me with this whole process of being able to cast a wide net, but then use all these various filters to filter it down to make it best use of my time. For people who do the video, the 25%, but you're not a fan of the video, do you reply to them or do you just not reply? I do let them know that I'm moving forward with another candidate. Of course, typically at that stage, they might have asked me a question. You know, okay, you know, I always let people know I got it because you always want to be respectful of the fact that you sent a stranger a video. Yeah, yep. 
So I always respond and say, yeah, I have an audit response. Hey, we got your video. Thanks so much. We'll be in touch within the next time frame. And I always try to let people know about it. The people who send back a video, I try to let them know what the deadline is for when I'm trying to hire for this position. So it's respectful of their time. Because if they've given me this much respect at this point to reply to the video, follow the instructions, send me a video back, I want to let them know, one, that I got it, and two, what kind of time frame they can expect. Because they might be looking for a job sooner, or they might need to move on with another application or something. Mm-hmm. So I try to be respectful of that by letting them know. But ultimately, when I'm done interviewing someone, or by the time I get to a point where I'm scheduling rather in-person interviews, I let everybody else know we're moving forward with other candidates right now. So you know, thanks so much for your interest or whatever. And then what's the next step in your process? So the next step is in-person interviews. And I'll give this out, honestly, to anyone who's interested in it. But I have a, an interview template that I use, and it's kind of built it over time. It's been it, There's a lot of research behind it. There's more experience behind it. And I've got an interview template that it runs. I mean, my interviews run about an hour long. And that's why this process got, has to shake people down to the point where maybe I've got five or six people who sent back videos who I'm like, I want to schedule an in-person interview with these people. Without fail, out of those five or six, I'm only going to get three people who are going to take the time to schedule an interview. But the truth is that probably any one of those people that I'm going to schedule an interview with, because of all the filters I've had set up beforehand, by the time we get to that point, probably any one of those three people would actually work. Mm. And then the interview is just to see who do I think it would work with the best. Who's got the chemistry, if they're interacting with me, where we're going to get along the best, we're going to be able to communicate and understand. But that interview, like I said, that's an hour long. A couple of the things that I ask people about is like their future plan. I want to know that a candidate I'm talking to has been considering their future, at least six or 12 months in the future. Are they reading books? Do they read books, period? I don't care. I like it to be personal development books or business books. But reading fiction or whatever, that's fine too. But I think people who read books, it's a telltale sign of someone who is just a little bit more than basic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that's another favorite. I always ask the classic question, what's a weakness? What's something you can stand to improve on? Because for me, if you're not self-aware enough to know something that you need to work on, then you're not self-aware enough to be on my team. So I think that's important too. But I'm trying to think of some of my other favorites. I always like to ask people about, uh, what you know, say one word, describe what motivates you. And then I also ask, in what word, describe what discourages you or tears you down. And it helps me to get an idea of how this person uses words. Everyone has a different association with different words. Different words mean different things to different people. That's why communication is hard. Get them to stop and think, you know, mm-hmm. the interview. And that's where a lot of my questions are designed to get people to pause and give me thoughtful answers. Because as I'm doing the interview, I'm always engaging in Socratic questions, which if you don't know what that is, is basically just asking a clarifying question after each question. It's not every question. Sometimes people give me good answers that I don't need to ask for clarification on. But most of the time I'll be like, go further into that. Or why would you use that word? Or give me an example of that or something like that. And you get them to get a layer deeper. And then that's how you filter out people who might be just blowing smoke or, you know, BSing or whatever. That's what my interviews are really designed to do. How do I get down to the real person? How do I get down to the genuine human being that I'm going to be interacting with on a daily basis? And then one thing I forgot to mention is that I open it up by actually mentioning a few things about myself. I like to have a conversation, not an interrogation. So Mm -hmm. you go in there and you're just like, oh, well, let me just immediately start asking you questions. No, I like to say, hey, my name is Danny Coleman. You know, I live in Clinton, Tennessee. I really like to be part of my community. I've been working for this business for X years. I like to ride motorcycles and I'm a Star Wars nerd. Mm-hmm. It lowers defenses because defenses are there because they think that they have to present this perfect version of themselves. Right. 
that's not the version of the person you're going to be working with on a daily basis. You're going to see people in terrible situations, which reminds me one other favorite question of mine from an interview is asking them about what frustrates them the most and then following up with how do you cope. That's another good one that I've really had a lot of good. Because, again, you're not just asking questions that they pass or fail here. You're asking questions that inform you. If you hire them, you understand more about them and how to interact with them sooner rather than later. So Danny's clip focuses on creating the right hiring process to ensure that you are finding the highest quality people. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget to actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. This next clip comes from episode 992 with Sean Casemore. Sean Casemore runs a consulting company where he works with massive corporations and companies and helps them improve their operations. Listen to what he had to say about building a strong team. Step one, when you think about any contractor to your business, and by contractor, I don't specifically mean like a general contractor, but anyway, that you pay an hourly or by job basis, you have to realize those folks have their own businesses and have their own priorities. And therefore, you need to somehow make your business their priority. Say that again. You have to make your business their priority. Now, the logical ways that we've seen this done, even if you watch some of the shows on TV, is that the investor goes out and they beat up on the contractor, they yell and scream and rant and rave and threaten to pull business. That looks good for TV, and that's why that's on TV. But in reality, <laughs> that's not the way it works. Right. So you have to figure out how can I make things in my business just as important as their business. You can do that, obviously, through leverage, the amount of business you give them. But more importantly, you want to make them feel like they're part of something. So, for example, when you're going out to take a look at a property, do you bring your contractor, I think you're talking like a general contractor, with you? Do you involve them in decision-making? 
do you actually give them the chance to take a look at situations and provide potential solutions? And when they do, do you thank them for it? And you take some of their advice. I see myself, I've been involved in real estate now for probably only about five or six years as kind of a side venture, something I enjoy. And really to build that team when I'm kind of a solo investor, it becomes trying to ensure that other people who support me, although they're not an employee, they feel like this is also their business. And that comes back to building a relationship, which includes things like trust, honesty. And you'll find that a lot of contractors will be very receptive to that because everybody else treats them like crap. And so they're happy to work with those, actually treat them like a human being, respect their ideas and viewpoints, and treat them as if they're part of your business. I love that. It's involving them. One thing that I do with my team, so I'm not a fix and flipper, but I have teams for my company. And I always make sure that I mention it's not my podcast, it's our podcast. And I have that mentality because it truly is our, it's the team, it's not just me. And I think that has a psychological benefit as well. What do you think? Absolutely, it does. It really comes back to, I think in business sometimes, we end up running over those who support us and maybe inadvertently because we're so busy, we're so fixated on the next deal, the next opportunity, cash flow. I mean, those things absorb much of the time, I'm sure, of your listeners. But the problem is in doing that, many of us, because we're so focused on those things, they cause stress, we can come off as jerks. And then that inadvertently can be then thrust upon those who support us. And notice we're talking about a contractor here, but if you had employees on your team, the same thing can happen. You're focused on cash flow. You're focused on sales. You're focused on the next deal. But that stress, then when you turn to answer some questions of your employee or your contractor, comes out that you're a little bit of a jerk. And then what do they think of you? They think you're a jerk. So are they going to stand behind you? Are they going to be there when you really need them? The answer is no. And you're probably going to wonder, well, why, why is that? I've given them a solid job. I've been paying them for years. I've been trying to include them as a team. And so it becomes very difficult for the entrepreneur or the investor in this case to have a couple different mindsets going on. Number one, the business mindset, which is the next deal, cash flow, profitability, but also the separate mindset that is, hey, in order to be successful, I can't do this alone. I need people, be they employees or contractors or otherwise. And people are receptive to other people. People are receptive to being treated fairly, being treated honestly. And heck, I can actually warm people up a little bit if I start to maybe go that extra mile of drop off a coffee. You know, when I went and saw my contractor, I always tried to grab some coffee for the guys. Here's a funny situation. I had a contractor and his team working last summer on this property that I had. It was really hot summer day, which believe it or not, despite the snow, we do get <laughs> I'm coming in, I'm rushing in, I got a few minutes to stop by, see how it's going and move on to the next thing. And I thought, you know what, if it were me, here it is Friday at 3.30, I'm hoping they're going to stay and finish the job. So I stopped and grabbed some beer, brought it back, and I said, hey guys, I hope this is okay. I can tell you that the contractor that led that job became my friend immediately. He started <laughs> bringing stuff to my house after hours, dropping off stuff. Here, I forgot to do this, here's a deal on that. Suddenly he's my best friend, and all I did was take a moment to step out of my agenda, my schedule, mm -hmm. and start to think about them as people and realize, well, what would I want if I were them? Man, it's a hot Friday afternoon. I want some beer, right? Mm -hmm. It's that mindset. So entrepreneurs and investors need to kind of focus on two mindsets. There's the business mindset and mode. But there's also the people mindset and mode, which oftentimes is very similar to how you would deal with your customers. 
I'm suggesting you deal with contractors, employees with a similar tone and ideas that you would with your customers. I imagine that the principles that you teach and work with your clients on through your consulting firm are similar principles that we as real estate investors can employ. So what framework do you use with your clients when you're working with them to get the most out of their team? Typically, what I would do is every team is different. Every organization is different. So for example, just speaking with a client here this morning, we are working with kind of a subset of a small group of people in the organization. We identified some very minor changes to something. And this morning, we sent that up to the broader team before it went live and said, hey, give us your feedback. What do you think? And interestingly enough, out of about 15, 20 additional people this went to, two were just hands down, this is crap, this is not going to work. So in that case, it became- Fire them. No, I'm kidding. Well, you, well yeah, <laughs> kidding. But you're they're senior people. They've been around for a while. And so the funny thing was leading up to this, everybody in the subgroup I was working with said, oh, there's going to be some barriers, going to be some problems. And I said, what would it be? Oh, can't tell you. Well, it became very clear what they are. It's some senior people that realistically are just at a point in their career where they don't want to change. Now, the one mindset is, as you suggested, Joe, fire them, get rid of them. They're not going to accept change. I don't have time for this. But on the flip side, you've got to realize, well, they've got how many decades of experience here this may be a matter of I can invest a little more time with them to convince them, but also on the flip side, what am I maybe missing here? So rather than let my desire to say, hey, screw them, let's just move forward with this, this is necessary, I got to invest a little bit of extra time. So when you go back to what's the framework, it's really step one, understanding that everybody on a team is an individual. They've got their own life experiences, which includes their personal experiences, their own work experience, their own ideas, and everybody wants to share those ideas and experiences. Some people will speak up and slap you upside the head with it. The next person might not say boo, but everybody does have that information. So if you want to create a stronger team and a better business, you need to really understand everybody's an individual and deal with them on an individual basis to get the most out of them, to get these ideas, to help them feel like they're part of something. And when you create an environment where that happens, powerful things begin to happen. People begin to feel happy at work, which we all know means they're actually more productive. They start to share ideas more frequently, which as an entrepreneur, we can't think of everything. So it really starts as simply as that understanding that everybody is an individual, has their own ideas and viewpoints. Some of them might not be valid because they don't have all the background that I do or others do, but a lot of people just want to be heard. And if you can listen to them and start to capitalize on some of those ideas, build a very, very strong team. How do you treat everyone as an individual and hear their ideas while still scaling a company? Here's how we've handled it in the past, right? We put in layers of management. So your team starts to grow and you say, well, I need a general manager to manage this team, or I need a supervisor for this group. And, and that's okay. But the problem is when we hire those people, we usually pick the best person. So you've heard that old saying, you get the top salesperson, you make yeah. them manage the sales department. Now you've got two problems. Number one, you've lost your best salesperson. And number two, that person may not be a good people person. Yep. If you're going to put these layers in, you want to pick leaders who are people first. They're good with people because I can train any skill. I don't care what it is. It might take me time, but I can train a skill. I can develop somebody's skills. I can't make everybody good with people. So when we're adding these layers, that's what you want to consider. That's step one. But on the flip side, let's say you're not going to add layers. You're still small enough that you can scale for a while before you put leaders into place. You need to calendarize some time, 
right where you're out dealing with your people, whether it be contractors or otherwise. This isn't a stop by a property and just, hey, how's it going? What's new? If you're going to do it that way, schedule time to spend time with people. Make a point and realize that as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, the people that are in this business are as important, if not more so than me, because they're out there making it happen. I may be putting the deals together and shaking hands, but they're delivering. So I really have to invest some time, and I tell leaders all the time, stick in your calendar every Friday to spend the afternoon or the morning going around and just talking to people. You might not hit everybody every Friday, but make a point of doing that, and what you'll find is you're able to better understand everybody as an individual. Therefore, when you're positioning things, ideas, viewpoints, asking questions, you can position it from a perspective that they personally appreciate. Let's say we have a remote business. A lot of real estate investors have remote team members. So let's say we follow your advice on scheduling time with our remote team members. We just jumped on the call. They say hi. We say, hey, how's it going? We do the initial pleasantries. How do I approach that call? What questions do I ask? Well, step one, don't have a call. If you look at the technology we're using today, Joe, Zoom, Skype, there's all these tools out here today that allow for face-to-face interaction. So preference number one, you can use mobile for it. I have a face-to-face interaction because think about any call you're ever on. When somebody calls you, what are you typically doing? I'm picking my nose right now while you're talking. You know, you're, you're writing notes, you're answering <laughs> emails, you're trying to type quietly so nobody hears, right? So you get them face-to-face, you've got their attention, even if it's for a short span, and you get a better feel for where their head's at. Are they really interested in this or not? It goes back to the old saying, body language is the most powerful communication tool we have. And yet in today's highly technologically driven world, we're missing that piece and wondering, why do I have to send 32 emails to get the point across? Well, why didn't you go see them? That would have saved you a lot of time. So if you've got a remote team, and I have the same in my business today, I schedule time to have a Skype or a Zoom or something where we get face-to-face. Maybe it's only once a month. Maybe it's once a week, depending on how important that person is to the business and how frequently we need to interact. And I can change that. I start it once a month. That's not enough. I pull it up to once every two weeks. And I set this up with the individual that, look, I think it's important that we stay connected. I prefer face-to-face because it allows for both of us just to have a more meaningful conversation. And if they push back and say, I don't want that because I'd rather be at home in my PJs right now, tell them just put a better shirt on and let's <laughs> go face-to-face. Give me the chance to give it a try first. It really is the face-to-face is the key with those remote people to ensuring that you're having a valuable dialogue. Okay. All right. We're seeing them electronically via Skype or something, or we're in person now What questions do we ask? How do we structure that conversation? It depends on their role. You start with pleasantries. Now, that may sound so simple and stupid, right? You say, hey, how's it going? What's new? But the change to what I would suggest a lot of entrepreneurs make when they ask that question is I actually pause and wait for an answer rather than just, hey, how are things? Great. Anyways, here's what I need from you. That's typically how that conversation goes. So we've got in our mind going into this, hey, I'm spending 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20 just trying to find out what's going on in this person's life. So they focus heavily on business. I'm going to go there with them, but ask them, how are things going personally? If they focus heavily on the personal side of things, then I'm going to go, great. How are things going in your job? What's going on right now? So it's just that time to have a dialogue, and there doesn't have to be a fixed agenda. The point is, if you're an effective leader and you're dealing with people just like you would a customer, you're going to change your approach. So think about this again from a customer standpoint. If you've got a customer that's pounding his or her fist on the table, demanding answers, do you sit back and crack a smile and light up a cigar? 
Probably not, right? You get them the answers quickly. Same if you have an employee that's direct like that, I'm going to respond directly. Or if I've got somebody who's more thought-provoking and they want to sit back and analyze things, I'm going to mimic the same because that's how I break through that barrier of the fact that, hey, I'm human just like you. Yeah, I'm your boss, but I appreciate you. I care about your ideas and viewpoints. And that starts to, again, open up people to providing new ideas, being more creative and more supportive to my business. So Sean's clip focuses more on how to get more out of your existing team and keeping that team happy. The third and final clip comes from episode 2203 with Rich Fedke. Here's what he had to say about building a strong team. Back then, when we were going remote, I read a book from the founders of Basecamp called Remote. (laughs) So it's all about how to run a remote company how to do that and all the benefits of that. And I was just kind of blown away and that really nailed it for me. It's like, okay, we're going hundred percent remote and this is how we're going to do it. So that's great resources to book remote. It's Jason, Jason Fried, I think his, his name is. So that was really helpful, but what's worked really well for us. One, it's culture first. So we got really, really clear on what our core values are. And we didn't just come up with that ourselves. We got our whole team on board. We talked it out, we argued about it, we discussed it, we brainstormed it, and we came up with our core values that are so important to us around. I won't go over all of them, but accountability was a big one. Connection is another big one. We help connect people. We have a connected team like family. Another one's obviously integrity. I think that's an important one for any core values. Transparency is a huge one, is a core value of ours of being transparent, being open, speaking up when anyone is not feeling good about something or has a concern or a challenge. So I would say a huge one is make sure that you are aligned as a company and as a team around those core values and hire to those core values. So we just hired a new syndication manager in the three different interviews we had with him. What came up every interview was I would focus on one core value and say, so one of our core values is accountability. Tell me about a time when you were held accountable and why that was important and how you had to really pull through. And also, how would you hold someone accountable if they were supposed to do a certain job or accomplish a certain goal and they didn't? How would you handle that? So it really let me see kind of behind the scenes of how he is as a leader and a manager. So hiring and firing to core values. We've had people that we found were out of integrity and they broke that integrity. And so that's like a no-brainer. That's a instant, sorry, you're gone. You broke one of our core values of integrity, but it could be other things. Breaking the core value of connection, just being a a jerk. (laughs) You get three strikes. If you're a jerk three times, then you're gone. So that's a big one. Another one would be having a very clear organizational chart or accountability chart, knowing who reports to who and how they do that and have everyone have that, that same chart. So everyone knows what their roles are, what their responsibilities are and who to go to when you need something and who's the expert in each area. So I think that's another big one too. And I would say on that org chart, don't just create an org chart for your business today. Also create an org chart for your business five years from today. So get all those boxes out. You can look up how to do an accountability chart or organizational chart online. It's pretty simple, but you have who sits in which seat, what do they do, what are their roles? And sometimes maybe you're a three or four person company You might build out your whole organizational chart in five years and have all these positions rather than faces. And then you can maybe right now your face goes in all those or in you and your partners or your employees, 
But over time, my goal has been to take myself out of those boxes and put someone in who's even more talented than I am so I can kind of oversee the whole thing. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group of eight to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at BEC2022.com. That's BEC2022.com. Rich's advice is very timely, but also timeless because he focuses on how to build and manage a team remotely. The other thing we do for culture is we do a quarterly state of the company address. Kathy and I do it together. And basically at the end of the quarter, we're just like, hey, everyone, here's how we did. These were the big goals that we accomplished this last quarter. Here's how we did financially. Here's the profit sharing that everyone on our team shares in the profits of the company. So the better the company does, the better our whole team does. So we share that in the state of the company. So in that state of the company, that's when we brought that up. We're saying, we're implementing a new policy. It's called a three-strike rule. This is the way it works and explain it that way. And then on top of that, I'm just thinking about these quarterly meetings. People love face-to-face -face human connection. That's what we've learned as a remote company. So every year we take our whole company on a three-day retreat. We hook everyone up. We treat them to a resort. And we, last time we went down to San Diego at this Paradise Resort and we do half day of looking at the year that passed, what worked, what didn't, what did we learn, how did we grow? We acknowledge people for their role and what they did. We also look at what didn't work, what did we learn, what were the mess ups? And then the second day we look at where are we going? We look at the vision, the 10 year vision, the three year vision, the one year vision, the goals for the year. And then we have a lot of fun. So we'll do stand up paddle, paddle boarding, kayaking. We've gone on ski trips with the whole company. So there's something about that magic, getting the whole team together, all 25 people, that everyone falls in love with each other. It's really cool. Zoom is good, and you can kind of get the face-to-face, -face, but face-to-face -face and really connecting is an awesome thing. So after this whole COVID stuff is over and we can get together and be face-to-face -face and hug, we're really looking forward to that. Thanks for sharing that. So kind of on a similar note, so your company transitioned from office to remote. I'm wondering if there were people who couldn't necessarily make that transition. They weren't very good at working from home because the reason I'm asking that is let's say I've got a company right now and we're all working in, in the office and then coronavirus hits, everyone's working from home. And I've seen just a massive drop in productivity from people yeah. because they don't work as well at home. I'm wondering how should we approach that? Do we fire them? Do we say, well, hopefully eventually come back to an office and then everything will be fine? How do you think people should approach that? Awesome question. That's a big one. And I'm really proud of our team. What we focused on, and always have focused on, is creating empowered leaders. So each person's a leader. Rather than having to micromanage or look over their shoulder and say, what did you do and everything? What we do is we have four directors at Real Wealth. So each one has their own division. There's one SFR brokerage. There's one in the syndication department, there's one in director of marketing, director of finance and legal. So each of those directors have their own team. 
So what they do with their team is they meet one-on-one -on -one with each of their team members and they come up with their big, most important goals each quarter. First, they get together as a team and they say, what are we going to do this year? What are we going to accomplish this year as a team that fits into the company overall goals? So the directors get together. We come up with the overall goals for the company. This is our initiatives. This is what we're going to do this year. And then each of those directors takes their part of that to their team and said, our department, this is what we're responsible to make happen this year. And then they work with each of their people and say, okay, so what about you? We follow the EOS system, the entrepreneurial operating system from the book Traction. We've been following that for almost four years now. That's a great one. So that's one of my highly recommended books is the book Traction and the other books that Gino Wickman's put out. So we use that same type of process. So each person has what they call rocks, putting the rocks in the jar. And it's one to five of the most important things to focus on during the quarter. So each person has rocks. So we don't micromanage. We don't look over someone's shoulder and say, you got to do this, you got to do this. We just say, here's your rock. It's very clear what they need to accomplish and how they need to accomplish it. And then every week when we have our meetings, we're looking at that and people are saying, my first rock is this, I'm on track. Or my first rock is this, I'm off track. If it's off track, then we drop it down. We make it an issue. We talk about it. What support do you need? What help? So that really helps. So people are responsible for their results, not just working their ass off. <laughs> basically, it's, it's getting the result is what matters for them. So everyone has a number, basically. Perfect. I interviewed someone before we talked about The Rock, and I told him that he should just get a bunch of boulders and literally <laughs> write whatever the goal is on there and then mail it to their, their employees' that office. That's a good idea. Like in, their, in their office, there's a big stone just sitting there that they see every day. Yeah, it's kind of what it visually feels like. It is yeah. like that. Like, these are the big three. I really like the big three. More than that, it starts to get a little bit diffused. So I like to have people that have one to three main rocks because then they can really focus on okay, this is what I'm responsible for this quarter, this, this, and this, and all the extra minutia. It's like, don't put a focus on it. Don't, don't get sucked into email or any of that stuff. Focus on what needs to happen. Something else you mentioned right in the very beginning was you kind of went through all of the different technologies that you, you use. So for people who are transitioning from office to remote, do you recommend that people Zoom and visual face-to-face -face type of meetings or is the phone okay? Just email okay? What's the best tech to use when you are communicating with people when you're working remotely? I think it's a blend. We do not do all Zoom meeting. It drives me crazy. It drives our whole team crazy. It's like sometimes you just want to focus on someone's screen and look at the numbers or what we're doing or the site or the membership portal, whatever it is. So having everyone's face up there is like, it's not necessary. What we do, we just started initiating this, is we do a monthly call. So we, like I said, we do a meeting every single week and the different teams have their own meetings different. You know, so there'll be maybe five to eight people on a meeting. And it's a very structured meeting. It's very clear. And in that, what we do once a month, so three weeks, we just share screens. We don't look at each other. Once a month, we have an agreement that, hey, we're going to share our screens. So whoever wants to get dressed up, they can do that or do their hair or do their makeup or whatever they want to do. They can do that. But then we get to kind of get that human connection, the face-to-face. -face. But I honestly, not for our company, I don't think it's necessary to have every call be a face-to-face -face Zoom type meeting. And then my other question on the tech side is, and again, this may just be a, this was an issue for us, but when you did go to remote and you started to add in technologies, did you ever get to the point where you were like, 
I think we're using too many different softwares. (laughs) I think we need to kind of like bring it down a little bit and kind of focus on the ones that are most important. So maybe walk us through that process. And again, for people who are now working remote, maybe they think about buying all these softwares and maybe doing overkill. Yes, we did go through the overkill. I love tech. I'm an early adopter. I'm always looking at what's next and what's coming and what useful things. So in the beginning, the most important thing that we did was Basecamp. So we use Basecamp as our project management software. It's awesome. There's teams in there. You can communicate through teams. So it keeps away from having to use Slack or Skype or all these different things, texting and everyone's getting pinged and all these different things. So we run our whole company on Basecamp and Kathy and I run our whole investment portfolio on Basecamp. We have each property in Basecamp as well, because each one can be set up as its own project. It can have photos. It can have all the documents, all the closing documents, the HUD, whatever it might be, can go in there. So Basecamp's great. And then we also use software called 90. It's just 90.io is the address for it. N-I-N-E-T-Y.io. And that is a software for running this EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. So it's the structured meetings. You can put to-dos in there. You actually open it up when you run your meeting. You start the meeting off and what they're called is an L10 meeting, a level 10 meeting. We're trying to get at the end of the meeting when everyone rates the meeting. And the goal is to have everyone say that was a 10. Usually it comes in around 8.5, but 10 would be, that was an amazing meeting. It flowed quickly. We solved a lot of issues and everything. So anyway, we use 90 to run those meetings, which has a scorecard built into it. So it's a dashboard. It shows how we're doing with leading indicators about where's the company going, how many sessions have our investment counselors done with our members and investors, where are we on a raise so we can have that for a syndication. And so we look at that. Then it goes into deduce from the last week. So each person goes through and say, I was, I said, I was committed to doing this. I did it. I was going to reach out to this person done. And then I was going to finish this report, not done. And then if they're not done, we can drop it down into this area called IDS, which is identify, discuss, and solve. So we have 60 minutes there just to identify what issues are happening. Issues can be good or bad and discuss those issues and go back and forth. Take one issue. Everyone on the team can share, debate it, give ideas, and then we solve it. So what's the solution here? And usually that solution comes with a to-do that gets assigned to someone. Someone will be like, Okay, we have a solution. I'll take it on. That'll be my to-do. And then you wrap up the meeting. So anyway, 90.io works awesome for that, for anyone who's running on the EOS system, which I know a lot of your listeners probably are for their companies. And then let's see, we were using something called 15.5, which is a really good software as well. When we went with 90 to run our meetings and everything, we dropped 15.5, even though there's too many platforms. But 15.5 is really good. It's basically each person on the team fills out a report that takes them 15 minutes a week to fill out what they did, what their big wins are, what their challenges were, any numbers or anything. And it takes five minutes for their supervisor to review it. It was created by Yvonne Chouinard, who started Patagonia. He wanted to use to travel and rock climb and surf and all that. So he came up with this method for holding his employees accountable and knowing what's going on in his company where people would actually physically write it down in the day. They'd take 15 minutes to write down what their week was like, and then it would take him only five minutes to review it. So they would send it over to him by fax or whatever back in the day. So he could be on a surfing trip or halfway around the world climbing and know what's going on in his company. 
So very similar, 15.5 is a great one if you're not using 90. So those are great tools. And then we've been using GoToMeeting for years and years. So we usually use GoToMeeting, which is just like Zoom, but we also use Zoom as well. So kind of for the same purpose. The three clips featured today are definitely related and build off of each other. We started off with Danny Coleman telling us how to hire the right people, but building a strong team is more than just hiring. So in the second clip with Sean Casemore, he told us how to get more out of our existing team. And then lastly, Rich Fedke gave us tips on how to manage a team when they're not in our office. We're not seeing them every single day. So how to build and manage a team remotely. So my call to action for everyone listening today is to take action on at least one piece of advice that you learned from these clips. That will conclude this episode on the three tips to build a powerhouse commercial real estate investing team. Thank you for tuning in as always. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow.